You're listening to episode 58, part two of our conversation with Dr. Glenn Griffin, Associate Professor of Advertising at the University of Colorado in Boulder and Catalyst 2019 speaker. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Water, the public communication company founded by yours truly, the H2 Duo. Hi, this is Ryan Romero, Associate Professor of Practice at University of Texas at Austin, Stan Richards School of Advertising and Public Relations, and Bag of Meat. This is a podcast that is demonstrating the value of communication in the water sector. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. So what does it mean to go rogue? It means you know we've got some serious challenges facing the water industry, but you're ready and willing to do things differently than the way we've always done them. Why? To build the bridges necessary between our industry and the people we serve to move things forward. At Rogue Water, we work with you to provide the strategy, content, and resources you need to effectively communicate with your customers so that you can work together to provide sustainable clean water services and to create healthy communities. Are you ready to go rogue? Find out more at roguewatergroup.com. It's, it's probably more possible for a public utility to do this kind of thing than it is for a lot of consumer brands. You don't have to be Coca-Cola, you just have to be relevant. Whether or not I have running water in my home is a relevant factor in my life. Story time. Okay, so we were at a budget meeting one time and we proposed creating this short video that could be used for onboarding new employees as a way to show the culture and who we were as an organization. But we could also use that same video to demonstrate that very same thing to our customers and community as well. But we were told no, because we weren't quote Nike or Coca-Cola, we're just a city. Yes, just my least favorite four-letter word. You know, I wish I would have had all of the talking points from the second half of our conversation with Dr. Glenn Griffin in my back pocket when we were sitting at that table. So our goal is to empower you with the value of branding to the water industry in your back pocket. Your brand is not your logo or your tagline. It is the soul of your organization. We do such a good job about talking about this to each other You know, when we talk about why we love this industry so much and how important it is, but we don't always do a great job at recognizing the value of communicating that same thing to our community or the way that we always do it sometimes. We can't gush about it the same way we do to each other. We have to tell our soul story through the lens of our customers and what's important to them and why they should love our industry as much as we do. Corporate social responsibility is all the buzz in the private sector, but hello, the water biz has been doing this forever, for decades. We just haven't been telling our story as, uh, as well as they do. So our chat with Dr. Griffin teaches us that water utilities were born to lead this movement of brands rounding up to make a difference in the world. If you haven't already, check out part one of our conversation with Dr. Griffin in episode 57. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Your, one of your presentations at Tamio was about this idea of rounding up. What does that mean and how is, it in cor- how is corporate social responsibility playing a role in this shift in advertising? Well, the unfortunate thing about CSR or corporate social responsibility um, is that it, it for a long time just lived in textbooks. Mm. And, and it was sort of a nice buzzword that was used in MBA programs and in business schools across the country. But 
people in many cases, and in some cases, brands just paid sort of lip service to it. Sure. Um, but when we say rounding up, um, my, my co-author on this new project, which is a new book project for me, um, we're looking at it as, you know, how brands can do business while also doing good at the same time. Um, which I know sounds a little Pollyanna and a little, nope, not in the water industry. (laughs) But um, it's really, when you get down to it, it's about inviting your clients to do something positive for their community or society at large by sort of adding complimentary, socially positive elements to their communication plan. Um, And and that's not really any, something anybody can argue with or, or about. Um, as long as we're doing the job for our clients in advertising, we're selling what they're selling and we're, you know, paying attention to what their priorities are. I think it's a beautiful thing when creatives can say, Hey, wait, we could do this too. Mm -hmm. We we could sell your product, but we could also do this thing that would make people love you even more. And it may not necessarily have anything to do with what your core business is. Um, So, so that's, that's what the book is really about. It's, it's about highlighting some examples of that. And it, it, it's really relevant because millennials and Gen X tell us all the time now in, in research and in studies that they'll go out of their way to patronize companies or organizations that demonstrate a desire to do good as part of their business model. Mm-hmm, that's right. um, and, and if you know that, you're sort of crazy not to look for opportunities to be attractive in that way to that audience. Um, so doing good needs to be part of modern branding, not just a lip service moment. And I think it also has to be authentic. You can't fake this because people yeah. can smell a fake right. from a mile away. So I really want you to read that line again of you should be crazy to not be <laughs> to not be like using that model of creating change and doing positive things in the world to attract the next generation. Yeah. Um, that's that's an area that our industry is, is it's a significant challenge. We have a significant portion of the population of our industry that's coming up to retirement. Um, and I'm talking in like the 80s, 85 percentiles of people who could at any day just say peace out and, and be gone. And so the idea of workforce and next generation is very important. And that's one of the things that, you know, we try and share is that the next generation is, is legitimately worried and concerned about some things going on and that if you can show that you're making a positive impact and doing good and you can use that as a way to attract them. So thank you for validating that from me. (laughs) 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 So obviously the strongest brands are very cognizant of cultivating their brand and brand reputation, but branding is something that can be uh, difficult to convey to water utilities. It's not um, specifically in water utilities, you know, like some of the PIO communication folks are talking about it, but not necessarily, it's not a common thing that we're talking about at the water treatment plant, if you will. But how do you define branding for cities or public entities that, that struggle with the, but I'm not Coca-Cola, I'm a city, or, or that think that branding is just a logo or a tagline? <clears throat> well, I would first urge everyone to expand their idea of what a brand is, because mm-hmm. Um, we, I mean, all of us tend to think first of a consumer product when we think of right. a brand, like a soda or a soup or a cereal or something like that, or a, or a fashion brand. Mm-hmm. But a brand is 
your face to the public. It's a brand is, is your face to your audience. And we all have those Um, no matter whether you're Coca-Cola or whether you're a a public utility. And the, the funny thing is that, you know, the brands that are probably best positioned to engage in rounding up as a strategy are the brands that are well-established and most familiar to consumers. And I got to say, if I ask anybody who their water provider is, they're going to know the name. And if I ask anybody who their electrical provider is, they're going to know their name. Or at least if they're paying the bills, they know their name. Right. <laughs> um, so, um, so I think that the idea that, well, if I'm not Coca-Cola, then I can't really engage in branding is not only kind of short-sighted and narrow-minded, it's, it's also probably it's, it's probably more possible for a public utility to do this kind of thing than it is for a lot of consumer brands who don't have the name recognition and don't have the relevancy in people's lives, right? So yeah. you don't have to be Coca-Cola, you just have to be relevant. And, um, you know, whether or not I have running water in my home is a relevant factor in my life. It might so, be a big deal, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 w- I would really encourage people not to think that just because they're not a fortune 500 company that they can't engage in this same kind of activity. Well, assessing your brand reputation is threefold. Can you, what are those three layers and how can the public sector do a better job at brand assessment? Yeah. Um, from the literature on corporate social responsibility, Mm -hmm. which is how we sort of began this part of the conversation. Um, People who study CSR have identified these three stages of reputation management, and they are attention generation, uncertainty reduction, and something called transcendence. And I'll briefly explain each one to sort of set the stage here. Um, Attention generation is all about telling your audience who you are, what you do, and what you're about those three factors, Mm -hmm. Um, who you are, what you do, and what you're about. And notice that in the term attention generation, Mm -hmm. it implies that this is probably at the beginning of your brand's life. Right. Um, So this is where you set that table. This is where you, you define who you are, what you do, and what you care about, and what you're what your values are. Okay. Um, but it's really important to understand though, that attention generation is a stage that you should leave as soon as you can. Um, as soon as you feel as, like you've accomplished that goal, you should move on to one of the other stages because if you find yourself trapped in that stage, you're probably doing a pretty bad job of, of making those definitions. Mm-hmm. If people aren't catching on and, and if you, you know, do the research and find that people can't tell you what you're about or can't tell you what you what your values are, mm-hmm. then you probably need to do a better job at it. Right. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's not a stage you should live in. It's a stage that you should engage in and it's necessary, but it's also one that you should graduate from. Mm-hmm. Um, uncertainty reduction is basically reminding that same audience of those same dimensions of your brand. And when we say remind, we mean repeat, reiterate, um, delve into, get more specific about. Um, 
when we say uncertainty reduction, we're basically saying we don't want there to be any uncertainty. Okay. We, want, we want people to know what Starbucks stands for. Exactly. We want people to know what Cheerios is about as a company. Um, and those brands work very hard to continue to remind us of those things, even though at this stage, they're well into their brand's life cycle. Um, so, so maintaining some certainty and some assurance with your audience um, on those features of your brand is, is really, really important. And then we get to transcendence. And I will say that I think most brands probably spend the majority of their brand's life cycle in uncertainty reduction. Yeah. Um, and, and only a few really achieve what we're about to talk about, which is transcendence. This is when your audience is so familiar with and so confident about your dimensions um, of who you are, what you do, and what you're about, that you're free to use that brand power to explore other related issues and causes. And I think we see examples of that in what Coca-Cola does. Mm -hmm. We see it in what Nike does. We see it in what Cheerios does. Um, so it, it's when so many other things are, are taken care of and, and we're very confident that people know who we are and what our brand is, that we can then use that power to reach into other dimensions and other areas. And so we'll be talking about some ways that brands have done that. Okay, so we talked about the three phases and um, as much as I'd like for us to believe that, you know, all the water utilities out there are at that transcendence um, phase. I think it's more like the attention generation. Um, and so, you know, some of us may be facing the uncertainty reduction if they had any sort of crisis or public relations snafu. Um, what are some of the strategies that utilities can use in each of these phases? Well, you know, I've, I've said this to you guys before. I, I don't pretend to have any special expertise in your industry. Um, <laughs> okay. so, so I guess what I'll say, you know, rather than specific strategies is maybe to define these a little more in relationship to your industry. Okay. Um, you know, as I said, attention generation should be a finite period of time mm -hmm. um, in a brand's history, not a long-term condition. Right. And, and I think that, you know, most utilities engage in some traditional advertising and traditional advertising is great for that phase of your brand's life. Um, you know, television, radio, print, um, they're most commonly used to help define a brand. Um, from a strategic standpoint, once you've achieved, you know, once you've sort of graduated from attention generation, mm -hmm and you're, you're into the uncertainty reduction phase, the first thing I would say is that that phase should be primarily proactive, not reactive. Ooh. So when I, hear that, when I hear that companies consider, you know, maybe that part of their brand's life cycle to be a time to put out fires or to deal with, you know, disruptions right. uh, in the way people feel about you, you know, if that's the only time that you spring into action as a communication team, you're doing it wrong. 
because I hear you the, say that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if all you're doing is reacting to external forces and you're calling that, you know, controlling your brand, you're not doing it right. Um, uncertainty reduction, as I said earlier, is about reiterating and reminding people of what they think they already know about you. Um, and hopefully those are positive and good things. Right. So everybody's going to have crises. Everybody's going to have problems when they arise. But if you've done, if you're being more proactive in terms of uncertainty reduction mm -hmm. than reactive, all that proactive work will help uh, cushion the blow when something bad happens because people are going to want to give you the benefit of the doubt. People That's are right. going to want to believe that, something that happened wasn't your fault, right? Or that, that you're doing everything you can to address a problem. Exactly. So, um, so that's the biggest mistake I think people make is after their brand is sort of established, they think all they need to do is defend it. But that's not what you do. You, you keep aggressively advocating for your brand. And so when a defense moment comes along, it's not as disastrous, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when we talk about transcendence, you know, I, I may be crazy and, and I may be, you know, ignorant in terms of what your industry faces, but transcendence is obviously a long-term goal that's attainable for many brands as long as they aren't looking past right. um, attention generation and uncertainty reduction. Um, and, and if they're doing, a, if they do a good job navigating those stages, I think that they can realistically think about, you know, achieving transcendence. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, transcendence is when you're so established and you have such a great relationship with your audience because they understand you and they believe what you are, that you can then use that same power to solicit their help or, um, attract them through actions you may take with other partners or other initiatives that serve social good or social causes. Yeah. And so, um, so I think that um, that's a way to look at each stage in a little more depth and think about the right way and the wrong way to do each one. Mm. I love that you are explicit in that how right and wrong some of these are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, we do have uh I can name on a couple hands, you know, the transcendence um, category or phase um, utilities that, that meet that. And it's, it's amazing to hear those stories of, for instance, like DC water, they weren't um, in that phase for a long time when they became, in my opinion, the transcendent transcendence phase. Um, and they started asking for, support on, you know, rate increases and things like that, like they've received them. And now they're, they are seen as, you know, one of the utilities of the world that are just making changes for the positive and um, their brand is on point. And I, I know there's so many other examples, um, you know, of cities just our utilities just like that, that are doing great work. And those are like who we aspire to be. I'm, I love it. I, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm not an expert in your, in your field, but um, I think that the, um, the strategies that we see in the marketplace today that are, you know, of the rounding up variety, um, 
One that many of your listeners may be familiar with is the Domino's Paving for Pizza campaign. I love that. Please tell us about this. Yeah. Um, so this comes from my wheelhouse, so I can talk about it um, <laughs> authority. Um, so the Domino's Paving for Pizza campaign invites people across the country to report potholes in the roads in their communities so that bad roads don't happen to good pizza. That's actually a line from their website. I love um, it. And, and this is a great example of a power brand reaching just outside its core business to surprise people and sort of connect with local communities in a way that's totally relevant, but totally unexpected at the same time. Because delivery drivers, what do they use to bring your pizza to you? They use roads. roads. <laughs> so, so I thought this was genius in terms of... Um, connecting with communities across the country in ways that no other brand in their category had ever done before. Um, so, and, and you know, with any brand like Domino's or Pizza Hut or Little Caesars or what have you, sometimes they can feel so corporate and so big that people would rather patronize a local pizza shop or, you know, that kind of thing, the whole shop local movement. Right. But in doing this, Domino's makes themselves they, they sort of masquerade as a local brand, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, because, you know, the mom and pop pizza shop is not filling the potholes mm -mm. in my community. Domino's is helping that happen. So, um, so I, I've, I've heard from a couple of, you know, community officials before when I've talked about this at seminars or what have you, that they sort of fear this because they're afraid that brands are going to start attacking them and telling them how to do their jobs and things like that. But I think we're a long way from that happening. <laughs> I um, think we need to look at that with a different lens. Like yeah. instead of attack, it's partner. Yeah. You know, instead of come after, it's collaborate. Exactly. Like, I think they just fear that, you know, sure. with the success of Domino's campaign, that brands are just going, they're, they're going to be, you know, bombarded with proposals for, for partnerships. It shouldn't be an us versus them. It should yeah. be a partnership. Like let's all to get together to make this a better community. I think if a nationally known brand wants to roll up in my water utility and help me communicate and the value of what I do, I'm game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, that's an important thing. It has to be a win-win. Yeah. Um, it has to be a win for the community and it has to be a right. win for the brand. It doesn't work if it's only one-sided. Yeah. Um, and we see rounding up strategies take several different forms. And I thought I would go over those. Yeah, uh, for sure. A little bit. Um, so even though the strategies can take different forms, the common denominator is really when creative people think, what we call beyond the ask. Hmm. Um, and, you know, this is when a client asks you to do something, usually to sell more product or to promote their brand. Um, that's going to be a given, right? But um, when Domino's just wants, while Domino's just wants to sell a lot of pizza, you know, when you talk to their brand managers or their marketing people, it took creative minds to say, yeah, let's do that, but in a way that will make people recognize you as a brand that's different mm -hmm. um, than, it, than our competitors because it cares about the communities it serves. So that has to come from creatives. It's not going to come from the brand manager um, at Domino's because the only metrics that brand managers usually care about is moving the needle in terms of profits and, you know, shareholder value and those kinds of things. And so... Yeah. 
Um, so it takes creatives to be able to say, you know what, we can do that and we can do something else on top of it and, and not undermine the original goal at all. Right. Um, so one way that, that brands have done this uh, across the country, and we've seen examples of it, is by soliciting partnerships, which we've talked about a little bit. So um, Domino's found one in transportation departments across the country, and I'm sure they had to do a lot of legwork up front to make sure that that would be practical or even, you know. Permit-friendly. <laughs> Permit-friendly, that kind of thing. Um, and by the way, the, the way that they dramatize paving for pizza in the commercials is kind of um, – a little bit of taking creative license because <laughs> Domino's doesn't come in with a, an asphalt truck. <laughs> uh, yeah, what what Domino's does is actually provides grants to communities so that they can fix okay. those potholes. Oh, wow. I like it even better now. Yeah, yeah. In the commercial, it's a Domino's branded truck and okay. they're the ones actually filling the potholes. They don't. Yeah. Um, cool. So if, so if you think about what your utility provides to people, both tangibly and intangibly, because, you know, water's the tangible, mm-hmm. but the intangibles are things like feeling clean and feeling secure and feeling yeah. um, like, in, you know, in, in, a, in a crisis, you have something that's, that you'll need that'll be valuable, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you look for other organizations that overlap with you somewhere on your lists of what you give to your consumers. And then you think about how you could develop a win-win strategy that makes you both look good. Yeah. And, and so it, it's sort of like a Venn diagram. You know what I mean? Like if, if your utility is one circle of the Venn diagram, then the other overlapping circle could be a potential partner. Yeah. But where that overlap exists is, is where you can find something that you do in common. Mm-hmm. So that might be, a public utility and another public utility partnering. Or I'm okay be. with a utility and a pizza company. <laughs> a public utility and a Pays pizza company. Water to make the pizza, all that. Sure, like, sure. I'm down with some dominoes. Um, you hear that, dominoes? Exactly. So, so you both you you both want to look good because otherwise it doesn't work, and and there's not going to be buy-in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another. A category of strategies uh, or a a feature of the strategies that we've looked at to write this new book is sort of stealing like a pro. Mm. Um, And steal has a negative connotation, but it doesn't have to. Um, Pay attention to what other utilities or any organizations that are similar to yours are doing, and especially ones that consumers are responding to, and then figure out how to adapt that strategy without doing exactly the same thing. Um, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So, um, I love it. Yeah. And, and I know that in your industry, there are awards programs, but I do know that there are places where people who work for public utilities can go and see great strategies that have worked elsewhere and that have been awarded elsewhere. Um, but even, even in looking at those strategies, which are great for everybody to look at and to appreciate, I didn't see a whole lot that fell into this category. Mm. So, so I think that there's potential for people who work in communications with public utilities to sort of fill a void and maybe, you know, sort of chase the consumer branding arena a little bit and, and sort of look at a Domino's or look at a Coca-Cola and say, we could do that too. Yeah, It might be on a smaller scale or what have you, but it's still the same type of strategy. Um, And then last, I would say, in terms of advice about rounding up, sometimes a consultant helps. Um, 
and I'm not, I'm not selling myself here because <laughs> I, I think I would be out of my depth. See what I did there with the pun um, <laughs> uh, with water. But, um, but sometimes it is good to talk with an ad agency or another professional communication firm sure. to, to, to get their view of what you do because you know, I'm, I'm sure people who work in public utilities aren't any different from people who work in any kind of business. We get myopic, yeah, we get yeah. tunnel vision, um, and we feel like, you know, there are no new ideas. There is no new way to sell water to people or to mm -hmm. make people feel good about their water provider. Well, says you, you know, yeah. uh, it might be that stepping outside of your environment and, and the, your team would be one of the best ways to get a new fresh pair of eyes on it. So so I'm, I down do with, I'm down with the consultant life. Yeah, I'm yeah. Proof. I'm down so, with making you a water nerd, Glenn. You could do it. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> yeah. I, so, so someone who doesn't think about water purification all day may have suggestions that you can't see. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's I think, a, a, a valuable thing to consider. Absolutely. I mean, I can, I have examples, personal examples of each one of those four, you know, categories. And just from my own experiences, I mean, it's, you're on point. It's perfect. Yeah. And I don't think that any um, utility or on the flip side, any corporate organization should be fearful of partnering, you know, because it's like, oh, well, we're dealing with drinking water and we're dealing with public health. And, but there's more to water than just that. There's, there's the wastewater side, which is very fun to talk about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It makes talking about poop less, uh, <laughs> well, there, less there taboo. Is. You've got stormwater. You've got water quality. There's there's so many different topics that have this community component of it that you know any corporate brand could could find a way to to connect with and to help spread that message for us. Yeah, and and you know. To, to cite an example that I developed for my talk at CPC this past time, um, there was a police department um, in Chicago, one of the neighborhood police departments in probably, um, you know, one of the rougher parts of the neighborhood. And um, they were having a big problem from a public relations standpoint, you know, relating to the citizenry and having people not be afraid of them. Or, or mistrust them. Mm -hmm. We've all seen abuses, mm -hmm. you know, in some cases by police officers that are very isolated incidents, but right. it shapes people's perceptions and it, and it fosters mistrust of the police in some cases. And so um, in one of those communities, a police department actually partnered with the public library system yep. and they sent in police officers to read the kids during story times yeah. um, and they were in uniform and you know they they made a big push about this as a, as a form of outreach to the community and that's a great example of a rounding up strategy because mm -hmm. it's a partnership where they found the relationship the overlapping relationship was caring about young people yeah uh, which is something that police do a lot of in community policing but also, you know, libraries are there for that same purpose in many cases. And um, so they use that overlap to develop that idea for the police officer story time. Okay, so, so every utility who's listening to this, I want you to take that idea and do it, implement it. Because that is, you care more than anyone about the life of your, you know, your customers. And those are children as well. Pick up a book, go read to them. 
yeah, you don't have a cool, you know, <laughs> uniform like the police do, but you have a cool uniform. You have your but a polo city. shirt with your you've logo. Got your shirt, you've got your look. Yeah. Own it. You've got your steel-toed boots. Put your hat on. Put a hard hat on. Bring a glass of water and start reading. And kids love any kind of uniform, right? Yes. I mean, just, bring bring any awesome. of the vac trucks, anything out there. They're gonna go bananas. Well, I was actually gonna. I thought you were gonna go a different direction. I thought you were gonna talk to him about how we, when we worked for the last utility that we worked with, we actually did partner with our police department. We did. Um. Uh, probably more so for an internal communication perspective, but because um, we're both blue, they're they're blue. We're water. We're blue. But um, that's great. That's perfect. Really, it happened after um, there there was a an ambush or shooting of some Dallas police officers a few years ago, and it was really kind of our way of showing our camaraderie. Um, with our police department in our city, yeah. and so we called it the H two Olympics. And um, like a walk a mile in each other's shoes together. That's so great. And it it fortified relationships between the two departments who do work together all the time because we are doing water main breaks and and repairs and things like that. And they're helping. And so it really solidified that relationship for the people who participated. And one of my favorite stories from that was, um, so I don't know if this is true everywhere, but in, in, especially in this area in Texas, a lot of times um, if police officers go have lunch or dinner or whatever, somebody will pick up their tab for them kind of as their way of thanking thanking them for their service. And I can guarantee you that that never happens for what utilities in place. And so, but after that event, um, some of those police officers Mm -hmm. who participated in that event with our water utilities folks they have actually seen those guys out and bought lunch for them so when I was told that by the police chief that just that gave me goosebumps because that was the whole reason why we did it so there's so much power in those kinds of partnerships for sure especially in the wake of that tragedy too you know there's a real emotional impact to Mm -hmm. that strategy which I love so yeah yeah, it brought them together, and that was they really did get to walk a mile in each other's shoes, and that's that's a powerful thing. Um, speaking of power, I want to talk about um, power brands. So, what makes a power brand, and how do you know if you are one? Yeah, well, you know, I, it's like I was saying earlier: um, the distance between your public utility and a power brand like Coca-Cola or Cheerios or Burger King or what have you. Um, is it might not be as as distant as you think, uh, because if you look at what the the leading criteria for power brands are, a lot of them match up pretty favorably with public utilities. Okay. Uh, Love it. First of all, um, your brand needs to be highly familiar. Um, I, I again, I'm not sure, but I would think if you pay the bills in your family you know the name of your utility providers. Right. Um, and I think that even if you don't, you may still know the names of your public utility providers because you see their names a lot. Um, you may pass by their buildings every day, what have you. Um, so being highly familiar is one aspect. The next part, which kind of goes hand in hand, but aren't necessarily one and the same, is that your brand is highly relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I lived in Dallas, I knew exactly where the First Baptist Church of Dallas was, and I could point it out if somebody showed me a picture of it, but 
it, so it was highly familiar to me, but it wasn't highly relevant to me because I don't go to a Baptist church. Right. Yeah. So, um, relevancy is different than familiarity. Relevancy is when the brand actually impacts your life and you interact with it on a regular basis. Um, and this is why all kinds of brands have target markets because mm -hmm. they, they advertise to the people that they think are their most likely customers mm -hmm. as opposed to everyone, because no one has a budget to market to everyone. <laughs> um, Ooh, so, um, but, <laughs> but I think with, but I think with public utilities, both the familiarity and the relevancy go kind of hand in hand because who doesn't use water, who doesn't use electricity. Right. So, um, so I think they're both kind of interrelated for you guys. And then I think you also have to be competitively positioned and for a, for a brand like Coca-Cola, you know, for them that has meant pretending that Pepsi doesn't exist for the lifetime of their brand. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, that's what Coca-Cola does. Yeah. In regard to Pepsi, they never mention them. They never reference them and they pretend like they don't exist and it drives Pepsi crazy. <laughs> um, and if you notice, Pepsi spends a whole lot of money yeah. counter advertising against Coca-Cola <laughs> because they're number two, right? Yeah. So, um, but in a utility marketplace, in many cases, you're a monopoly. Right. You know, um, I know that it's becoming more um, common for there to be multiple sources for people to get their energy from, for example. Mm -hmm. But still, when you compare utilities to, to consumer brands, mm -hmm. your competitive position is way stronger in many cases because yeah. you don't have a lot of comp competition. Um, a power brand should also be growing, not contracting. Um, and so hopefully your utility that you're part of is growing. You have more and more subscribers to your utility as, as the years go by. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I know that goes along with whether or not your community is growing too. So that's important to consider. And also power brands are future focused. They, they don't focus on the past. They focus on the future. Mm. And, um, and I think that's one reason why Coca-Cola pretends that Pepsi doesn't exist because Pepsi's not part of their future. Only Coca-Cola is part of their future. Ah. Um, and so to, as long as you're future focused and you're um, figuring out ways to continue your growth and to maintain your competitive position, um, those are all facets of what it means to be a power brand. And so if you consider those, dimensions as what makes a power brand, I would say that many of you guys are in a good place. Mm. Yep. Thank you. I take but, that. Yeah. But but we know of course that that won't be true of every utility and, yep. and some, some utilities are in communities that are shrinking. People. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I would say, you know, just try to be try to consider those facets of of what it means to be a power brand and look at your brand in those terms and and of course, be honest with yourself about whether or not you're meeting all those criteria. But, you know, if you are, then don't, don't shrink from thinking oh, about how to reach out to your audience in the uh, same way that Coca-Cola or uh, Cheerios does. If you just checked off every one of those that he named, then own it. Join that <laughs> yeah. transcendence group. Ooh, yeah. You know? Because I, I think that you're in a great position to do that if that happens. Yes, so. it's great. All right. Well, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up right quick and Arianne's going to launch into the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I'll start I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. 
What's your favorite book right now that you can recommend to us? I'm very excited to hear this. Well, you know, I, when I saw this question, it was probably the most daunting question on the list. <laughs> because, yes, I know. Um, because my opportunities, ask you. Yeah, my opportunities to read for pleasure are few and far between because most of the reading I do is just for work. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, read a, I read a book on a plane recently, and that's where I most often read for pleasure is on a plane. Um, Donald Miller um, has a book called Building a Story Brand, Ooh. Clarify Your Message So Customers Will Listen, I is the it. subtitle. So Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Message So Customers Will Listen. Perfect. And after I read it, I thought that the subtitle should be changed from Clarify Your Message to Connect Your Message. Mm. Because that's what story is. Yep. You know, story is about everything you tell me about your brand or about your organization, about your company. It fits in as a line in the story. Mm-hmm. You know, once upon a time, <laughs> dot, <laughs> dot, dot. Yep. So, um, and that thread that story creates makes your brand more memorable. Um, everybody loves a story. People don't like bullet points. They like for it to be threaded together into some kind of narrative. And for some reason, the whole world of advertising just collectively woke up and said, oh my God, storytelling, you know, <laughs> but, but I feel like that's what advertising has always been about. Um, yeah. um, you know, from the story of the Marlboro man to the story of, um, you know, different characters that have been associated with, with brands over time. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I think that story is so important and that book does a great job of explaining how to do that or if you're not doing it, how to sort of retrofit your marketing so that you do a better job at it. Nice. I've actually heard of Donald Miller and I don't know if it's that book in particular, but I know he's on my list. So thank you for validating. (laughs) And he's, he's written a lot of books on a lot of different types of subject matter. And so he's, he's kind of a Renaissance man in terms of his interests and things. And he's Mm -hmm. also from the South. So I like him for that reason. (laughs) What's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Well, uh, like many people, I make to-do lists. Um, I'm sure we all do. Um, I use my phone all the time for it. Um, Mm -hmm. I use the Notes app, which I don't think a lot of people even know exists on your phone. I do. I have like Um, 37,000 to-do lists on that. Yep. Yeah, and and I also also use reminders all the time, but I use them probably differently than a lot of people do. Um, I use the feature... um, the reminder feature, I, I can remind myself to do things like a week in advance or two weeks in advance, not the day of or oh, two yeah. hours before, which are the defaults. And yeah. Um, but but the I think the the one way that I may do my to-do list a little differently is sometimes I'm so busy that I try to like look at my to-do list and say, what are the things on this list that I could do that would kill two birds with one stone? Ah. Like, you know, so if I need to create a slide deck for a for a talk that I'm doing in Dallas, then I'll add to that to-do item, you know, at the same time, convert that into a deck that I could use in class. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Perfect. Um, yeah. Which is not, which, which is not a pending, which is not a pressing to-do item, but it's something that I could do at the same time really easily. Mm-hmm. And then it wouldn't end up on a later to-do list. Mr. Yeah. Smarter, there. not harder. Yeah. That. Work smarter, not harder. Very good. And then, yeah. um, you guys asked me to um, share what my most passionate call to action is. Yeah. If I can, if I can um, 
interrupt the flow and ask that question of myself. So um, I thought you were going to ask me. I was like, oh, crap, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> yeah. um, well, mine, I won't put you on the spot, but mine is fail harder, um, mm. which, is, which is a mantra that I didn't write. Um, but I, I first saw it over at Wyden and Kennedy in Portland, Oregon. Um, they're the agency of record for Nike and for Levi's and a bunch of other power brands. Um, but they have a wall in their agency that is just covered with that mantra. Um, and it's created with clear push pins. Uh, um, I think I've seen a picture of that. Yeah, I, I show a picture of it a lot in my talks and, and it wasn't the agency that had the idea to put that mantra on the wall. It was the interns. Mm, yes. Um, and the interns created this mural with clear push pins that beautifully reads fail harder. But I thought, isn't it funny that the youngest and most inexperienced people in the agency right. had that idea and, and, and held that mantra so beloved, right? So um, it tells you a little bit about how sometimes when we get older and focused on our work, we miss the forest for the trees. So yes. I, I love that mantra. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I, yeah, I absolutely agree that by getting through, past, over, around that fear of failure, that I believe that that could ultimately change the world. You kind of have to, to have to do that in order to start a revolution. It's where you, you learn know? the greatest lessons. You learn greater lessons from failure than success. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now that one. Um, well, perfect. I think this is the yeah. only interview where I haven't had to ask that question. I know. So I love it. You just went right into it. I love that you went rogue on us. That's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> perfect. But well, we are beyond excited for you to talk branding with us at Catalyst. Yes. We're looking forward to that. Um, I think it's going to be a fantastic conversation. I know that every, every single time that we've seen you present, whether at CPC or at Tamio, um, it's been killer. So yeah. we're, we're, uh, we're pretty excited about that. And um, Ryan will actually be there. So you guys, oh, yeah. So I, I feel like I have assembled the dream team of, of branding <laughs> to come Ooh, to Catalyst. So yeah. I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. But thank you. I know you're incredibly busy. So I thank yes, you for thank you. taking this time out and uh, speaking with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.